The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corliss, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Bonjour, dear listeners, and welcome back to this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. While I spent this past week catching up from my vacation in New Orleans, I am finally back in the full swing of things now. I started choreographing my commission with Cello Point this week in New York City, and I am also taking on three new classes at both Steps on Broadway and Broadway Dance Center through May 28th. A quick rundown of those open classes if you want to join me are Intermediate Contemporary on Fridays at 11.30 a.m. and Advanced Intermediate Contemporary on Sundays at 3.30 p.m. at Steps on Broadway and my usual advanced beginner ballet classes on Fridays at 6 p.m. at Broadway Dance Centers are still on, and I will be adding basic ballet for those same dates at 6 p.m. on Sundays at Broadway Dance Center. So, if you want to come and take class with me, you want to learn the basics of ballet, if you need a refresher, or if you just want to move in a more contemporary way, I'm your guide. So, if you're in the city, come on down and join me, and as you know, <laughs> Just come up to me and let me know that you're a listener. I always love meeting listeners. So, this week I decided I'm going to do a, something a little different. Um, I'm going to do a story time. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make this a regular spot or if I'm not. We'll see how you guys react to it. So, if you really like the, what, I, what I have to share, then please give me some feedback and let me know that you enjoy this format of podcast. <clears throat> so, uh, what I want to talk about today is something that I've talked about personally with a, a handful of people, but I've never really uh, told my whole story of my last performance gig um, and what exactly transpired and why I pretty much, while I didn't completely come to terms with the retirement of my performance career um, until like a year and a half after this, maybe even two years, um, <clears throat> but how, did, how it ended up being my, my final performance gig and, and the, what happened with that. So um, I just want to preface this story time episode with the idea that I'm not trying to soil anybody's name and I, I'm not trying to make an organization look bad or any any certain people look bad. I'm just going to tell my the way that the story happened to me um, and uh, I, I still think favorably of these organizations and these people. It's just that my, my experience personally was a very sad one. <laughs> so, so I was actually inspired to tell this story because uh, I was on Facebook and if you're a member of Facebook and you have been for a little while, you uh, know that they tend to try to tell you things you want to post or <laughs> they, they have marketing ads and things like that. And um, one of my Facebook memories came up um, and it was an image of my husband in San Francisco uh, back in 2014 and three years ago uh, in April. So 
when it just looked like a, a cute picture of my husband, it really actually, I, I saw it and I got tears in my eyes. Um, and it was because it, it reminded me of what that moment meant to me. Um, so let's get to the beginning of the story and then we'll, we'll get there. Um, but this is the reason why I always tell people who work as freelance artists uh, to never accept gigs without housing involved. So... All right. Back in 2014, I was coming off of a really solid season. Uh, in October, I had danced with a company called Baroque Ballet back in Santa Monica, um, in their launch, actually, of that company. And then I performed Nutcracker with Rochester City Ballet and a handful of other schools across the country. And then I was brought in as a last-minute emergency replacement for a wonderful, now-defunct uh, contemporary ballet company called Company C Contemporary Ballet in the San Francisco area, but Walnut Creek, so sort of in the suburbs. And I did Romeo and Juliet with Fort Wayne Ballet, which was definitely a highlight of my career. <clears throat> and then I was asked to perform with Oakland Ballet. So right across the bay from San Francisco, uh, really easy to get back and forth between the two cities. Um, I had actually sent them my information uh, a year or so prior to that, but I didn't get any uh, any response from them until a choreographer that I'm friends with had suggested that uh, they use me for the program. So when we were negotiating contracts, they told me that they didn't provide housing for dancers. Um, and I never really experienced this before. I didn't really know what to do about it, but I was really interested in working with the roster of choreographers that they were bringing in to create new works on us. Um, the, the artistic director was creating a work, but beyond that, we worked with Melissa Fenley, who um, is a, a very well-known modern choreographer um, in the San Francisco dance scene. She uh, She's on the faculty at Mills College out there in Oakland. Also, um, we were doing a, a new work by Robert Moses, who I he has a company called Kin, Robert Moses Kin, and I had seen videos of them, and I just really wanted to work with him. Um, so I said, let me see what I can do about the housing, and I will let you know from there. So I ended up in a conversation with a benefactor of mine who used to live in Los Angeles. And she, <laughs> long story short, she had purchased a beautiful home in Paris. Um, she actually did so on House Hunters International. Um, and I knew her from when I, she was my host when I did the Baroque Ballet gig in Santa Monica. So not to get too off track. But so she had offered because she said she wanted to see me perform again, but she was really just being very generous. And since she was on the West Coast, it was easier to go to San Francisco. Um, so she said to help me out, she was going to put up her apartment in Paris on a website so you could do a home exchange thing. So she was going to find somebody in the San Francisco area for me to stay with while uh, they got to stay in her gorgeous <laughs> apartment in, in Paris. So she set all that up. I even Skyped with the guy uh, about a week before I was supposed to go. And the, the sign should have been there from the beginning. But when we were talking, he was really nice. I could see inside the apartment he showed me around. Um, but he he seemed a little surprised that I was coming the following week. He, he made a mistake, he said. And he... Um, had his partner in town and he wanted privacy for a, a couple of days while he was in town so he asked if I could come four days late. So I said okay not a problem I have a handful of friends in the San Francisco area. Um, so I, I, I figured I would be able to take care of that and and I did for 
what I thought would be a couple of days. So without any worries, I flew out to San Francisco and I took the, the BART, which is their public transport, to my husband's friend's place and I put my stuff there and for the first couple of days I stayed there. Um, now, the first day that I was there, I was supposed to reach out to this guy who I was supposed to stay with in San Francisco and he stopped responding to my messages. So. I thought that was kind of weird. The first day, I was kind of hoping that maybe he lost his phone. Um, then I sent him an email, no response to that. So it became pretty clear by the second and third day that this wasn't going to happen. But at the same time, this friend of my husband's, who we, we don't really <laughs> talk to anymore, unfortunately, um, it became clear that he really didn't want me in his apartment, which was fine. It was his apartment. Um, I just wish that he had not offered for me to stay there but so there was there was a lot of tension while I was there and it was just a very uncomfortable situation and it became clear to me that I was not going to be welcome there for very long so I did whatever I could to try to get out of the situation the first thing I did was I I went up to the artistic director of Oakland Ballet and I said I'm really sorry but my housing has fallen through and the person I'm staying with I can't stay with them for very long um, I need help I, I don't know what to do and the the director unfortunately turned to me and said well it, per your contract it, we did agree that we you would be responsible for your housing so you're gonna have to figure this out um, so there I was a six-week performance rehearsal and performance gig um, and I didn't know what I was going to do so it for anybody that knows me as, as a child one of my biggest fears was that I was going to end up homeless um, my family we, we didn't have the best finances I was really lucky that there were many generous people in my childhood that helped me with my get my dance training and make sure that I was had clothes for dance and clothes for school but my family was never very well off um, so for me uh, we, and we all we always had, had certain struggles that where maybe we weren't gonna be able to pay the the house for a couple of months so it, it was a legitimate concern that we may end up on the streets so here I am I'm a, I'm a full-fledged adult and I am in one of the most beautiful places on earth the San Francisco area and I am living out my childhood nightmare while learning four brand new ballets two in styles I had never done before um, and just trying to find out where I was gonna sleep from night to night so <laughs> I was I was already quite emotionally burnt out at this point. I had been traveling for four years um, nonstop. I, the longest I had been home in those four years was seven weeks. Usually it was only a week or two, but uh, I had been trying out trying for six months to stop this cycle of freelancing so I could stay home for a period of time. But my challenge was I couldn't afford to pay my bills if I wasn't working like this because I had sort of developed myself to be this uh, well-known freelancer in our our dance scene. So. After the, the first housing fell through and then the, the friend that was quite unkind to me while I was staying with him for the four or five days I stayed with him, luckily there was one dancer in the company that she was doing, uh, she was watching 
over a house of a couple with a kid that were out of town. She didn't know who they were. I don't remember how they got connected, but they lived off of Fruitvale Station, which if any of you know, there's a movie. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it, it followed a, a real life story about somebody being shot at Fruitvale Station. So I would have to take the BART to Fruitvale Station and walk an hour through that community um, if I couldn't get a ride with this dancer that was letting me stay with her. So they, they said it was okay that I stayed at the house. So she had a bed and I had to sleep in a child's loft bed, squished into a tiny, tiny little bed close to the ceiling. Um, luckily, I got to stay there for about a week and a half, so there was at least some continuity there. But if I wanted to do anything relaxing or hang out with anybody, I had to walk an hour to get to public transport before I could even take another hour to get to see these people. Um, beyond that, the community was quite unsafe. I had somebody follow me with a baseball bat, and then he stopped me and then hit the pole and I other had other people yelling at me in Spanish. Um, it was just very frightening. Um, I was out of my comfort zone and it, it was scary. I needed to make sure I could go out and get food and I also had to get physical therapy because I, I was trying to keep my body in order because the, the studio that we were rehearsing in, it's Malanga. I don't know if they still rehearse there anymore, but it's uh, a huge space right in downtown Oakland. But uh, the studio floors were unsprung, and the the heat didn't really work for most of the time that we were there. And then, out on top of that, we were rehearsing six hours a day in styles that I didn't hadn't done before. It was just a lot of stress on my body and a lot of stress on my mind. So, as those two weeks drew to a close, I had no idea where I was going to go after this. There were three dancers that were staying in an Airbnb apartment, but it was a studio apartment and there were three of them in there. Um, and I also couldn't afford to pay for housing because the, I always say that the good gigs, uh, that the gigs that I really enjoyed, I got paid less and the gigs that were more work, I got paid more. And this was one that I was really enjoying working with the choreographers, but I couldn't really afford to pay my bills at home and then to pay new bills in Oakland. So, I was lucky enough, this benefactor of mine was just, she was an, an angel. Um, and she put out a Facebook post, I put out Facebook posts, none of mine actually worked, but she put out Facebook posts and she was able to get a friend of a friend of a friend to house me for three days. So from Fruitvale, the Fruitvale area, I moved onto the couch of this woman's house in Pacific Heights, this gorgeous Victorian San Francisco house and I was sleeping on this little crappy couch but I was very grateful um, and this is where that image of my husband comes in um, he was taking a work trip to go to Alaska um, but he asked if she could lay him over in San Francisco for two days so he actually joined me um, sleeping on the couch just the two of us on this very tiny couch um, he joined me and that was probably the most comfort that I had the entire time that I, I was out there so, after these three days, I, a friend of a friend of a friend, knew a couple that let me stay with them, and I, I, the, the day that I was supposed to stay with them, uh, we were rehearsing Melissa Fenley's ballet, and I was doing this, this jump where you had to jump up in the air and then turn and twist and then go into a, put your torso towards the ground, and I just felt like a slight muscle pull when I did, when I landed that step, but I continued dancing, and by the end of that rehearsal, my back was starting to seize up. 
So I took all of my luggage from that, house, that gorgeous house at Pacific Heights and I headed over to the Castro in San Francisco. And I mean, I had a lot, I had like a big 50 pounder luggage. I had a small, like 40 pounder luggage. I had my backpack. Um, so I, I took all my stuff to their house and by the end of the evening, they were very kind. They made me dinner. Um, I couldn't even walk. And by the next morning I was so injured, I, I couldn't rehearse. So, um, I ended up going in and having to tell Oakland, the director of Oakland Ballet that I wasn't going to be able to make it to the performances. We had only about a week left and I had had an injury like this before, but I had never been in this much pain and this immobile. Um, granted, I was still walking around the city, but I was walking very slowly because <laughs> I had to get to the public transport to tell them. But anyway. Um, so from there, I finally, the woman who I spent three nights on her couch, she had a, an apartment, a studio apartment that opened up under at the bottom of that house. And she told me that when it opened up, I could come. And for the first time in over a month, I finally slept in a bed. I mean, I had been rehearsing so hard and I was so exhausted physically and emotionally. I'd moved all of my luggage. I, I can't even count. And I think that was the fourth time, maybe the fifth time by this point. And I was sleeping on surfaces that were not appropriate for someone that's trying to recover to dance for seven and a half hours a day. It, it definitely, it felt like a very desperate situation. And I remember calling my husband at one point and telling him that I felt like I had two options. I felt that I had to quit the gig and potentially hurt the relationship I had with the choreographer who suggested me to dance for, for Oakland Ballet or that I had to just stick through it and get injured. But the one thing that I very specifically remember is turning to my husband saying, I have a home, but I just don't have a home here. And it, it was... It was just very challenging. It still, it still makes me mildly emotional today when I talk about it. When I first would share this story with people, um, for the first six months to a year, I would usually sob every time that I told the story. So I think I made a lot of progress. <laughs> but just the, to finish the story off, so finally, here I am in this studio apartment. I have a bed. I have a queen-size bed that I get to sleep on, and I'm there for five days. Granted, I'm injured, but I, I'd asked Oakland Ballet if I could stay and help out with the performances. So I wrote a blog for them, and I did some of their media work, and I was going to help them with tickets and whatnot, and the performances. I did some outreach efforts as well, um, while I could barely move with this back injury, um, which ended up actually ended up being two bulging discs that I had developed. But, so, from there, I spent about eight more days there at about five days left until the end of the gig and about five o'clock on the day before I left which was five days early or four days early I got a text message from the woman who was allowing me to stay in her apartment and she said I'm so sorry I forgot that I had accidentally rented or that I had rented out your apartment on Airbnb and I need you to be out by 11 a.m. in the morning so, <laughs> I, looking back at the situation, I was at a coffee shop with one of the dancers, and when I got the text message, I stopped mid-sentence, and I just walked out. I, I, was so, I was so emotionally gone by that point that I, like, looking back, I recognize now that I just stopped the conversation and left. Um, but what I did was I, I 
took public transport back to the house. I packed all of my stuff up and I posted on Facebook. Um, I don't want to have a censor mark on my podcast this week. So I said, F this, I'm going home. And I tried to get a ticket to go home and it was $700. So there I was, I knew that I had nowhere to go. But even though I was in such a low place in my, my career, um, I mean, granted, I was doing amazing things, but emotionally, I was just very, I was having such a difficult time. But even though I was in such a low place, I, <laughs> it's funny looking back on it because this, this friend has passed away since. Um, but I felt like there was an angel looking over me the entire time. And it, she came in the form of this wonderful woman named Mimi Chang, who, uh, Recently, when I when I created at the Columbia Ballet Collaborative, the, my my work was actually based off of her passing. She had seen my message on on social media, and she called me immediately, and she asked me what was going on, and she said, "Look, honey, you've had enough. It's time to go home." And she gave me her password and her her username for her her mileage account, and she flew me home. So. There was, I had spent <laughs> over five weeks living out one of my nightmares. And this woman, she was always there to make sure that I had a place to stay. And that I was taken care of. So, whew, I always forget. <laughs> Still to this day, like I said, this story, it's, it's a very difficult story. So... I'm sorry that all of you have to sit here and listen to me getting emotional, but I'm going to finish the story. So <clears throat> there I was, I was sitting at the computer and I finally purchased the ticket. And after five and a half weeks of me being, I, I was practically apathetic at this point. I had absolutely no emotions. I didn't feel anything except stress and anxiety. And the moment that I pushed purchase because I had to pay like a little taxes and fees. But the moment that I had pushed purchase, I just broke down and sobbed at the computer for about, <laughs> I don't even know how long it must have been like 10 or 20 minutes. Um, and it was more just because it was relief. It was relief that the nightmare that I had been experiencing was over. I had gone there to experience something great. And because I didn't have a solid place to stay. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't feel safe. I couldn't recover physically. I couldn't recover emotionally. And I ended up injured beyond beyond belief. Like I, This was my career-ending injury. And I, I tell people all the time, this wasn't just a physically career-ending injury. This was an emotional career-ending injury as well. And that, that is why I tell people, that you have to get housing if you are going to do, be performing work that is out, outside of where you live. You have to have in your contract and you have to only accept work where you are being provided uh, a bedroom with a bed and a place where you can cook food and where you can rest and you can have your own thoughts and you cannot worry about what is where you're going to sleep from day to day or the stresses of being in somebody else's space. So, okay, so I purchased the ticket and I spent my final night in San Francisco and the next morning I left and I had all of my luggage again and I was fresh and clean and it was honestly emotionally the best I had felt in weeks. Um, and as I walked to the bus stop to get to the airport, a homeless man stopped me and <laughs> 
he asked me if I was homeless. And I know that I didn't look homeless um, in that moment, but I had a lot of stuff with me. And I honestly believe that the reason that this man asked me this question was because I had I was so clearly emotionally distraught from the entire experience that I just looked worn down emotionally. Um, I actually stopped. I didn't I didn't just keep on walking like I typically typically would, but I just stopped. I put all of my stuff down and I thought for probably about a good 15 seconds and I turned to him and I was like, no, I'm going home. Um, usually I wouldn't give somebody <laughs> the light of day in that type of situation. I would just keep on walking, but I, I had to stop and think about it for a second. So at that point I, I flew home and I stayed home for five weeks. Um, and then I went to the National Choreographer's Initiative. But during those five weeks, I I had to I had to start thinking who am I what am I doing why am I still doing this uh, how do I, f I I felt like I had lost every sense of myself because I I strongly I, I would always tell my husband I felt like an alien and I had no earth because I just forgot what it felt like to be in one place for a period of time I, I completely understand why celebrities that go on tours and are constantly work going places to work how they they lose a sense of self and for me I really just needed to have some time to find that sense of self again so um it took me a long time to recover from that <laughs> I still think today that there are parts of me that that haven't recovered from that and I I still stay in shape um I can still dance uh my back still bothers me from that injury so I can't really partner as much um but people they, they've asked me over the years like in the last two years as I've come into this new stage of my career why am I not still performing and <laughs> there's your reason it was because I had just pushed myself so far way too far and I was doing what I loved but I wasn't I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel protected and I felt like at a certain point I had to continue doing it because I couldn't afford to pay my bills and I couldn't figure out a way out of it and it became a cycle. So my, my passion slowly turned into, uh, the passion was always there but the deterioration of every other part of my life it culminated in accepting a gig without housing and then having that housing fall through and then the company not doing whatever they could do to protect me as a dancer. And I, I see this a lot. When I'm brought in to choreograph and teach, I, I am treated as a much more important commodity than many performers are, many dancers are. Um, in fact, I just read on Facebook, I, I can't verify this, but I just read on Facebook that um, Lincoln Center, I believe, is uh, honoring artists for the first time in, in its history, and there's not one dancer or choreographer on that list. Um, it's all musicians and theater people and, and opera singers and whatnot, um, but not one dancers on the list. We are very much an underappreciated part of, of the arts world. Um, so not to get too far off track with that, but I just wanted to take a, <laughs> take, I guess I got really personal, but I wanted to take a moment and just share a little bit of my truth about why I haven't really performed as an artist since 2014. I still feel like I perform today by having my choreography put on the stage, but um, I feel much more passionate about taking care of other artists. Um, 
and I'm very proud of my career. I, I think I had a wonderful career, and I don't see that Oakland experience as my final experience. I see Dancing Romeo at Fort Wayne Ballet as my, my retirement performance, per se, which happened two months prior to that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very difficult time, and I wish that upon nobody. It was quite traumatizing, if you can't tell. <laughs> like I said, I didn't know I was going to get emotional. I didn't realize that it'd be so traumatizing for me still, um, but it, it's still there. So I, I hope that you appreciated me sharing one of my very personal stories. I will, I promise you, I will get back to talking, uh, helping you guys out with your experiences. I, I've had so much, so many different experiences. This is just one of them. And I, I'm so happy that I have this venue to share those experiences with you. So if you like this and you want to hear more stories about experiences I've had personally in my career, uh, just give me some feedback. I don't know. You can uh, give me a like on iTunes or you can send me a comment through my website or on my Facebook page. So with that, I bid you adieu. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. I don't know my name. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollas, featuring my choreography and choreography, that's core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.